Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, where we are set to continue our reflections into the book of Genesis. We are in uh, chapter 11. Yesterday, we were reflecting into chapter 10 and the descendants of Noah. It led into this conversation about the immensity of God, the power of God. I was also going back into Genesis uh, chapter 6 as well. And out from that teaching, I found myself in a conversation with someone where the focus was on just not the immensity of God, just not the power of God, but how that really encourages perspective, right? Perspective. Yesterday I was talking about my trip to Hawaii, my six-day trip with my wife to the beautiful island of Kauai. And during this trip, we went up in a helicopter, and the helicopter would hit the, the summit points of the island, and at the same time, it would go down into the canyons and uh, fly by the waterfalls. It was an extraordinary experience, and I could not help but just be overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the immensity of God's creation. Yesterday, we were talking about God's limitless love and all of the sand out there and, and, and all of the water. Well, I also encountered just the immensity of God's natural cathedral on this island of Kauai. And as I did, it really encouraged perspective. And that's such an important word for us because so often for so many of us, it is easy to slip into what I call myopia, right? What does the word myopia mean? But nearsightedness, it is very easy to slip into this disease of myopia, this disease of being nearsighted, this disease of having tunnel vision so wrapped up in what you're doing, you don't open up to what God desires you to do. And sometimes, yeah, you just need to get away to gain perspective. And that is so important today because ultimately, if we don't gain that perspective, if we don't retreat, if we don't withdraw, then life becomes nothing but doing, right? And we don't become the person that God calls us to be. I mean, why did Jesus withdraw 14 times in the gospel? He was human in every way but sin. So as he was human in every way but sin, he too needed to withdraw, to retreat, to have those conversations with God the Father. And where would he go? Away into the mountains, right? Kauai was a going away, uh, literally not just to an island, but into the mountains. And it was there where I experienced the majesty of God, the, the immensity of God, the, the power of God, all of which is a kind of protrusion, if you will, of God's love. And that, my friends, is what withdrawing is all about. Regaining that sense of what God's love is all about. And I'm quite intentional this evening to talk about this because as we get into chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel, yeah, <laughs> we, we have to be thinking about what is natural and what man creates. How we encounter God in 
the massive and how we try to create the massive and what happens when we do that. All right, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, and we will go ahead and read verses 1 to 9, the Tower of Babel. Now the whole earth had one language and few words. And as men migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Uh, what is bitumen, by the way? That is a, um, a natural tar used for mortar joints and uh, weather sealing. So this is what they had for their mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. And there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. All right, so the Tower of Babel, just a, a literal note here, which I find interesting, uh, and some of you may as well. Uh, we read in verse 9, therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 10, verse 8. Genesis chapter 10, verse 8 reads, Cush became the father of who? Nimrod. Nimrod, he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was what? Babel, verse 8 tells us. So who was overseeing the building of the Tower of Babel but Nimrod? Why do we hear that phrase today, don't be a Nimrod? <laughs> don't be one who confuses. Don't be one who wishes to be on his own accord, his own agenda, drawing people away from the spirit of truth. Don't be a Nimrod. That's where that phrase comes from. Now, more collectively, what is the narrative of the Tower of Babel all about? Well, the Tower of Babel incident, my friends, explains the dispersion of groups of people in verse 8, right? And then, of course, in verse 9, as we just spoke to it, the diversity of their languages. And so both the dispersion of groups of people and the diversity of language are manifestations, if you will, of divine judgment on man, whose pride has reached a new and towering height in the form of this mud-brick skyscraper. Before we get any further into this, I want to draw your attention to the book of Acts. If you go to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 2, what do we read there? But the coming of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, right? The birthday of the church. In Acts 2, uh, verse 1, we read, When the day of Pentecost had come, 
They were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and wondered, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then as you go through verses 9 to 11 here in chapter 2, Parthians, Elamites, residents of, of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Asia, Egypt, Pamphylia, all these cities now can interpret one another in their native tongue. And as verse 12 reads, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Then Peter stands up. And he lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these men are not drunk. Right? Because in verse 13, they were being mocked, oh, they're just filled up with wine. Peter says, no, these men are not drunk, as you might suppose. But this is what was spoken to the prophet Joel. And this is the great uh, quotation of the prophet Joel in Acts 2. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Yeah, and on my men servants and, and my maid servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth beneath. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and manifest day. And it shall be that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love chapter 2 in the book of Acts. And why are we reflecting to it now on the hills of the Tower of Babel? Well, did you catch the essence of what was going on there in the upper room? Whereas in the Tower of Babel, there was a confusion of the native tongue. We have a kind of reversal of fortune, if you will, where now they are able to interpret one another's tongue. And how are they able to do this? But by the power of God, you see, by the power of the Holy Spirit. My dear friends, what is the point of the incarnation, of the Paschal mystery, the resurrection, the ascension? What is the point of all of it? What does it all project towards in divine revelation and, and sacred scripture? But the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? But the coming of the Holy Spirit. How many times do we read in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah, and we just had Joel quoted there, right? That in those days, at the coming of the Messiah, I will pour my spirit upon the flesh. What do we read in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 and following? When the Messiah comes in the new covenant, the law will no longer be etched on stone, but inscribed upon the heart. 
How will the law of God be inscribed upon the heart? But in the Spirit. What did the law represent in the Old Testament? But the love of God, right? The Holy Spirit is the essence of that love. And in and through the Paschal mystery and on the hills of it, he gives us the gift of this love. And this is why living out that sevenfold gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the personification of Jesus Christ, is at the heart of our faith. When Jesus Christ gives us this Sermon on the Mount and he lays out those Beatitudes, this just isn't some external prescription for holiness. (laughs) This is the very life that God himself lived here on earth in Jesus the God-man. So when we internalize that sevenfold gift of the Holy Spirit and live a life of beatitude, we are doing what Jesus asked us to do, imitate him. So all very important, because if we don't do this, then we will become the very thing that the people of Nimrod became, a prideful nation. Go back into chapter 11, verse 4. What do we read there? Then they said, come, Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. That's a very important phrase, especially in the Hebrew, make a name for ourselves. What you have here is the family of man banding together to build a secular civilization that glorifies God's achievement? No, human achievement. And ultimately, the strength of social and political unity. Really, one could say the arrogance of this attempt really illustrates how sin has come to corrupt not only individuals, it starts with the individual, right? But whole societies and their collective pursuits. What did St. Francis of Assisi once say? Before societies change, man must first change. Before you sanctify society, your heart must first be sanctified. Certainly, we know there to be a connection between the two. One is the natural outgrowth of the other. Now, all of that being said, as the broader context of Genesis shows, the name here spoken of in verse 4, coveted by the sinners at Babel, is never acquired, right? Rather, it is Abraham and his descendants that we will read about and explore in great detail, whom God promises to bless with a great, chapter 12, verse 2, name, name. Certainly, preparations for this had already been made when God blessed Abraham's ancestor Shem, whose name in Hebrew literally means name, and whose two genealogies stand, incidentally, my friends, immediately before the Babel episode, and after the Babel episode. So make a name for ourselves. You know, I opened up with a reflection into my trip to Kauai and just the immensity of God's nature and how it can draw us to God. In the Tower of Babel, you have the the opposite, (laughs) The, the building of something so as to make a name great so as to pridefully suppose that uh, by doing this, you can become greater than you already are. And by that, I mean greater than, than who God intended you to be. 
You are who you are. It's an extraordinary thing that God gives such authority to parents to name us. And that is very important because what you have in a name is that kind of foreordained purpose and vocation. I contemplate with this a lot because the word Joseph means a guardian or guardian of truth. Now, this is lived out beautifully in the foster father of Jesus, Joseph, who is truly and definitively the guardian of absolute truth. But for me, as for all of us, we are made to contemplate the deeper meaning of our name and understand that as we do, we are to live out this vocation faithfully to to what God has inscribed upon our hearts. And if we don't, we will slip into those tendencies that Nimrod fell into, which is using the world to his own advantage. But we have to remember something about world, right? I mean, yes, God created the world and, and it is good. And we should always remember that. I was reminded in Kauai that what God has created is good, very, very good. And as such should be an encounter with him, an encounter with the immensity of his love. But the world has, has also been hijacked, so to speak. What do we read in Romans chapter 12, verses uh, 1 to 3? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, acceptable to God. This is your true and proper worship. You've heard this before. I quote it all the time. What about verse 2? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The Greek word for world in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, is a schema. It is where we get agenda. The world in its spirit has been overrun by Satan. And if you were to not understand this, all you have to do is pick up the morning newspaper. It doesn't uh, take much to see that uh, the world has been hijacked in a manner of speaking. What is good has been plagiarized as something not good, or moreover, something to be abused, something to manipulate, something to take out of its original context. Going back to that original Greek schema, Satan is busy scheming, you see. Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, right? The mind is a faculty of the soul. It is right to be renewed in mind. What about verse 3? For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, right? <laughs> Don't make a name for yourself, but rather... Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Be sober and alert. Be aware of who you are in relation to God. And when you are aware of who you are in relation to God, then you will come to discover God's divine purpose for you. If you are so busy about making a name for yourself, that will lead to problems down the road. You know, we live in a world that likes to brand things. What kind of brand do you belong to? That's very important. What about your brand? You know, we ask that question, and it's a question of status, right? It's a question of making a name for ourselves. 
And while belonging to a particular brand isn't the worst thing, and it's not some kind of intrinsic evil, it can be a dangerous thing. I mean, if you were to think about it, what did we first brand but cattle, right? <laughs> Are we nothing but cattle? Huh? What else has been branded? What about the prisoners in Auschwitz who are branded with a number? So branding, very, very important, specific to uh, this business of making a name for ourselves. We don't have to go too far to draw this out because everywhere you turn, it's about the brand and maybe how much we invest in a particular brand. It's just something to be careful of because otherwise what is going to happen if we're not careful if we're not discerning we will be building a tower huh and while we we might think this is a good thing in the end all we're doing is confusing the language of the i to thou confusing the language of what it means to love other as we are called to love investing making money all of that is fine it is good and to some degree prudent it just can't replace the human person. And certainly, the Tower of Babel addresses this question. Because if it does, then, well, all we have become is nothing but a utilitarian society. What did we say about this business of making a name for ourselves? What did they do? They, they banded together to build this secular civilization that only glorified human achievement that only glorified the strength of social unity and, and political unity. All of that, my friends, is dangerous in the absence of God. We can praise and affirm all day long about what we achieve as human beings, especially when it comes to technological progress or how unified we might be socially and politically. But if all of this is in the name, is in the name of coexistence, of tolerance without virtue. It becomes very problematic because in it, there's no truth, right? What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus did not say, I am a way, a truth, and a life, something arbitrary. He came as the full revelation of what it means to live according to this way, in this truth, and in this life. That's what we aspire to. If you remove the person of Jesus Christ and the principles that he handed on, I would ask you the question, do we really have human achievement? Do we really have social progress? Do we really have political unity? I would argue against because it is an existential impossibility to achieve unity without a real dialogue about truth. We see this in the very reasoning of a conversation. What do I mean? I am here speaking to uh, what Jesus Christ has revealed in sacred scripture. And maybe you might say, ah, Joe, you're just pontificating. You're just imposing your moral beliefs. Okay, fine. But I am then going to ask you the question, what is the difference between you telling me that I'm pontificating or imposing my moral beliefs than what I'm actually doing and saying. Because aren't you then pontificating and imposing your moral beliefs, your ethics? You are establishing a right from a wrong. huh? 
And once you establish a right from a wrong, you are speaking to a truth. So the whole conversation just collapses if we can't identify a truth outside of ourselves. And that truth outside of ourselves is the person of Jesus Christ. There is what we call revelation, something to discover outside of ourselves. And it's just not reduced to science. Science is part of it. Our faith is about faith and reason, but it's also faith. So we come to better understand our faith that we might better understand. We don't often put those two words in the same sentence. Lord, increase my faith that I might know more. But in reality, as we believe more in Jesus Christ, we will come to know more. How? But in the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very gift we were talking about earlier that was given to us in the upper room as we belong to the mystical body of Christ. Okay, so all very important as we draw out the finer points of just not what we find in the Tower of Babel, but also at the same time, how those stories in the New Testament and, and what takes place in the life of Christ and in the life of those apostles who followed Christ really shed light into what happens in the Old Testament. How who Jesus Christ is and, and what he came to establish in the church is the fulfillment of the prophetic thrust of the whole Old Testament. And that we might gain insight into, say, the Tower of Babel by spending extra time with what happens in the upper room. That if we are going to make our name great, we don't do it by strictly human achievement or human endeavor, but by an endeavor that is graced in and through the Holy Spirit. Okay, with that, uh, we are out of time. If you have any questions, comments, observations, please don't hesitate to email me at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com, or as always, you can go to my website at joholcraft.org, j-o-e-h-o-l-l-c-r-a-f-t.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. All right, let's wrap up with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.